Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I am your host, Deb Maisner. I'm a registered nurse, health coach, and AFBA, which stands for Alcohol-Free Badass. That's our new term. We're using AFBA. And today on the show, I have Lily Shanks. Lily is a self-described recovering attorney. She's a life coach, and she's founder of My Internal Weather. And she just recently celebrated four years sober. And she's here today to share her journey and top tips to help you change your relationship with alcohol. So welcome, Lily. Thank you so much, Deb. And I am adding AFBA to my designations and my signature line as we speak. Okay. I love it. I love it. Well, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you. Yes, as you described me, I am a recovering attorney. I am in recovery from a very long and prolific drinking career, but I am also in recovery from living a life that was completely out of alignment with my truest values and uh, who I really am at my core. And so I've worked with people off and on for years now, ever since I graduated from law school back in 2006, as a counselor, as a coach in some ways. And I added a yoga teacher designation to my resume back in 2011. And then when I started working with others in recovery, starting in 2018 or 19, I I realized I had been guided towards this service path and to working with others. And so, as you said, I founded my own coaching and consulting company, My Internal Weather. And it's just been one of the absolute best things I've ever done. And I couldn't have done it without putting down the drink. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing and being here. I had read uh, recently that lawyers have one of the highest rates of addiction to alcohol. Did you find that to be true among your cohorts and your experience as an attorney? We do indeed, according to the statistics, have a very high rate of addiction and serious mental health challenges. It's always interesting to me to consider what came first, you know, the attorney mindset and then the addiction or, or or how does that profession possibly attract so many people who are predisposed to be addicts but I did see a lot of heavy drinking in my legal career but I don't know how many of the people I saw drinking heavily with me truly did have a problem or if they were just heavy drinkers because I've had uh, former colleagues from my last big law firm that I worked at tell me that they were surprised. They didn't realize that I had a drinking problem, and in part that was because I, I would go home and do the majority of my drinking by myself, especially in the end. So to answer your question, I absolutely see the uh, tendency to work hard, play hard in the legal profession. And I think the numbers and statistics are probably higher in reality for lawyers because we can be very cynical and we don't want to disclose to anyone how much we actually drink or, you know, what, what life is really like given the kind of work we do. <laughs> yeah. So how did you go from, you know, being an attorney, um, addressing your, your drinking and then this this new life that you're living. 
Well, I was working at a medium-sized firm here in Dallas, and I always worked in litigation, and so litigation involves lawsuits. So anytime I was involved on a case, people were getting sued, and nobody was happy. And so when I hit bottom on Labor Day weekend 2018, I had been in this in this constant battle in my mind and with my will over whether I should really push through and try to make partner and really attract clients and, and do all of these things that I saw on the horizon in order to really take off on my legal career at that point. And I was having that battle on the weekend that I hit bottom. And so hitting my own bottom with drinking forced me to take several weeks away from the office and to seek help and that that period of time forced me to reprioritize and to see that a legal career the way I had been envisioning it would not be a good fit for me and it wouldn't be helpful for my own health and well-being and health is one of my primary values and I know that today, but I had been so focused on the external stuff, the career and the title and the salary and, and all the shiny things that I'd really been avoiding looking at what really was so important to me and those values, which today for me, I know are health and my relationships and being of service. So it took me getting in touch with those values and reprioritizing um, to finally make a big jump into coaching and into well-being work. And I still do occasionally do some writing for a few ongoing litigation matters, but I'm largely out of out of litigation and, and just working in coaching today. Oh, wow. And we had talked earlier about how a lot of people find themselves kind of stuck in their job, whether it's an attorney or a, a nurse or whatever, you know, like, but especially kind of a high profile job where it's, you know, has a, a lot of identity associated with it and a lot of money associated with it. And, and the term that gets thrown around is like golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And so how, how can someone unlock from the golden handcuffs? <laughs> well, I am not a financial advisor, so I'm going to stay out of the actual numbers and the money part. That's a great question, though, because I know when I was uh, looking at shifting my priorities and how to make changes, looking at my lifestyle and what I've been accustomed to was definitely a could be a hindrance if I let it. So in my own experience, I had to, one, get really clear about my values, which, as I just mentioned, are health relationships and being of service. And then I had to face my fear. And my fear revolved around stepping off of the path that I thought I should be on. I I would should myself a lot. I think most of us do that. And well, I went to law school, so I should 
be working in the legal field. I've accomplished these things or I've purchased these things. I should be staying in this lifestyle and working through coaching and with others and getting a more objective perspective was incredibly helpful for me to let go of those. But again, there was that fear of, well, what if, what if I step out of this and play it forward? You know, I, I end up losing my house or the car or I'm, I'm homeless. And that's just my mind rejecting the possibility of change and getting uncomfortable. And so I had to work through those fears in order to get where I truly wanted to be. And I think that once I finally made that commitment and started putting it out there and talking to people about what I wanted to do and the changes that I was making, the universe brought people into my life who were able to help me and who did help me make that leap. But it took a lot of courage and it took a lot of letting go of those old ideas in order to make that commitment, make the decision, put it out there, and then just be willing to go for it. But it's all fear. It's all that that fear in our minds that, that doesn't want to change. And I see it with a lot of people that they say they want to make a change. They want to start a new business, but they're they're holding themselves back in their current life or, or in their old mindset instead of really working and moving forward. And it's scary, but it's absolutely possible. And it is so worth it. Just like getting sober. That was so scary. But it was the best thing I've ever done. It is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, I mean, if if you hadn't have gotten sober, would do you think you would still be working as an attorney? <laughs> Deb, I question whether I would still be alive, but I if I were still drinking, I would not have changed my career path as tremendously as I have. I probably would still be clinging on to some sort of legal position. Um just holding on to it with my with my little claws. I would probably still be stuck and all that fear, and all that, and all that should, and all that what if. Yeah, I mean, you you see such a transformation in people when they do give up drinking. It's really amazing. It is amazing, and thinking about the job perspective or the golden handcuffs, I worked with a woman who knew when she got sober that she was not working in the right space. She was working in for an employer that was involved in the manufacturing of alcohol. Oh wow! And so she was able to stay sober for a lengthy period of time while still working there because she didn't want to make a big job change. But she knew that in the long run, that was not where she wanted to be. And so she didn't necessarily have golden handcuffs. She didn't have that type of burden hanging over her the way some some people do. But she had the same concerns. There were the shoulds. There were the what ifs and all that uncertainty and that discomfort that revolves around making changes. But she was able to transition into a new career field for her. And 
she started, she's making more money now, she likes her job better, and so it doesn't have to be a big, tremendous, scary change. It's, it can be, you know, a smaller change, but it was so worthwhile for her, but she had to get uncomfortable and interview and put herself out there, but she did it, and, and it's worked out, and so that's so cool to see. Well, and, and, you know, another thing that you do see is when people give up drinking their jobs that were so stressful and caused them so much anxiety also become easier and they, absolutely. (laughs) so, so first give up the alcohol maybe, and then go from there and see like, is this still a good fit? Definitely. And I've already mentioned it a few times, but for anyone, especially alcoholics, but even non-alcoholics, change is uncomfortable. And so for the alcoholic, if you're a daily drinker like I was, just removing alcohol from your everyday life is a huge change. And your brain needs some time to adjust to that change. And as you said, It's amazing when you're not hungover or missing multiple days a month, how much easier so many things do become. So give yourself that time to recalibrate and see um, whether you do need to change the job or the city or whatever it is, or maybe it was really just the alcohol. Yeah, definitely. Well, what are your top tips then for anyone who is looking to quit drinking or cut back? My top tips are, one, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. Two, seek outside help. And that doesn't mean you have to go to rehab or you have to go to AA or therapist. It may just be finding one of the many online sober communities or sober curious communities and connecting there. Also, finding people in your life who support you for me was huge. I'm lucky to have friends who are not in recovery, but who are incredibly helpful. And so having that support system in recovery for me, but also uh, non-recovery friends has been big. And then just be willing to get uncomfortable and be really honest with yourself. I don't have any tips for cutting back on drinking because I wasn't able to cut back. I had to stop. I have to, I know some people can cut back and moderate. And so if you can, and that works for you, that's great. But if you're trying to cut back, you're trying to moderate and you're not able to, that may be an indicator that you need to abstain. And for me personally, I had to go into an IOP program I had to get 12-step recovery support, and I've had to work with coaches and and other outside sources of assistance as I've continued my journey, and it's been four years since I've had a drink, but it wasn't just putting down the alcohol, it was putting down the alcohol and then starting to work on myself and the way I thought about the world and the way I showed up, because just putting down the alcohol made things better initially, but I still needed to change the way I was thinking and behaving so that I didn't go back to the booze so that I can show up and be really happy as a sober individual today 
without needing or thinking about drinking. Mm. Can you share a little bit about your experience with the IOP program and, and what that is for people that might not know? I can. The IOP program I went to was not substance abuse focused primarily, but IOP is intensive outpatient. And so for me, it involved going to a treatment center in Dallas where I am. And I was there nine to five. It was kind of like a full work day. And we went through different group discussions and lectures of sorts and meeting with therapists or or doctors who were helping us to reframe how we were showing up in life. And I know a lot of people do that IOP straight out of the gate. Some people go to IOP after they've been in a residential rehab facility. And it was helpful for me, but I needed to be in a peer-to-peer support system, like a 12-step program, where the people that I was talking with understood because they've been there and they identified as having a drinking problem as well. I know people who do really well with IOP and with therapy and who don't want to be involved in any peer-to-peer support. And so there's no, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. 12-step recovery has been a huge piece. It's been the biggest piece of my personal recovery from drinking, but some people find other ways that work for them. And so Another thing I would say to someone who's new on this journey is to try different things. There are so many different programs and ways of uh, getting help for drinking or substance abuse that if one isn't working for you, see what else might be out there. Yeah, thank you for sharing about your experience. And so when you say 12-step recovery, then would that, was that, and is it currently AA meetings for you or what does that look like? Yes, AA has been the biggest piece of my recovery and (laughs) makes me not very anonymous at this point, but that's because it's been so helpful. But there are so many different 12-step recovery programs out there. For those who are more drug-driven, there's Narcotics Anonymous. I know that there's Cocaine Anonymous. There are 12-step programs for people who struggle with overeating or eating disorders or gambling for codependency. And so if you have an ism, is how I think about it, there's probably a 12-step group that will is available to assist you if you would like to go see them. And I worked with, I have worked with sponsors in AA and the sponsor is somebody who's worked steps in that particular program and takes a newcomer through the steps and my original sponsor told me she said as many as many isms as many addictions or issues as you have work on them go to their respective 12-step program or find some sort of assistance with that as well but you know alcohol was the one that was going to be most dangerous for me at the time I went in in 2018 and so that is the one I focused on for a uh, and still focus on primarily but I've gone to other 12-step fellowships and they're, they're really helpful there's just for me there's nothing like talking with somebody who has had the same experience and hearing how they got better and what worked for them. 
Yeah, I I agree. Like finding your people, finding your 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 AFPAs, <laughs> your other alcohol your free best. Yeah. Your AFPA tribe. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I know that, you know, maybe a lot of listeners and, and I feel this way too, like AA hasn't resonated um with me and with other people. And I'm just curious, you know, what your thoughts are about kind of the AA backlash and how you have found it helpful. I mean, you you shared some of that, but I'm just curious what you think about all that. When I think about the backlash, and I, I'm sorry, my dog started talking to me. I heard, I heard the, I didn't, I missed the last part of your question. Oh, I was just curious what you thought about, uh, you know, because uh, for a lot of people, they don't want to go to AA. They don't want to go to inpatient rehab, you know, and it, they don't resonate with AA. And there's been a lot of backlash about its approach and I'm just curious what you think about that Mm -hmm. thank you uh I did not want to go to AA so I understand that mindset I didn't particularly want to stop drinking until I realized it was going to kill me so my journey was I was very AA resistant And I didn't want to hear about God. I associated AA as being a religious program. And I am not a religious person. And that's okay. So to those people who might be 12-step resistant because they think that it's going to be some sort of cult or a religious program, I can say my experience has been it is not. I did identify as being spiritual and open to the universe and karma and ideas that were really more Buddhist in their underpinnings. And so when I was willing to go in to my first meeting, I found that even though I heard the word God in the meetings and that kind of would chafe me sometimes, it wasn't about God, it wasn't about Jesus. And so I had to let go of of that thought process. And that took me some time. But I could get on board with the spirituality of the program. But as I said earlier, there's no one size fits all. And so if somebody doesn't want to go to IOP or to treatment or to a particular program, that's okay. There are so many other options out there. However, Deb... I was going to die if I kept drinking the way I was drinking. I probably wasn't going to die the next day or the next week, but I was on a very slippery slope down towards the ground, you know, to six feet under. And so I had to be willing to be open-minded enough to try things that I wasn't sure about. I really didn't like going to IOP. But I went. I wasn't sure about going to AA, but I went. And so each of us has to find our own way. And I hope that every listener who's listening to this who does think that they have a problem does find what works for them. But I had to be open-minded. And thankfully I was. And I'll say one more thing related to what got me to AA was I had a 
I have a very good friend who has over 20 years of sobriety now. And I knew that she was sober, but I'd never talked to her about it until I went and I saw her maybe a week or so after I had stopped drinking and I was telling her I'm going to the IOP program. I do not want to go to AA. And she said very simply, AA saved my life. She didn't push me to do it. She didn't try to explain away the, you know, the cult rumor or the, the God fear that I had related to AA. She just simply said, AA saved my life. And I can say the exact same thing today. It saved my life. And it's not for everybody, but I've got an amazing home group. I love the people there. And so I would encourage anyone to try whatever they need to try to, to get help. I love that. Thank you for sharing your experience. And like you said, no one wants to go. <laughs> no one like is growing <laughs> up saying, well, I hope I get to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting when I grow up. <laughs> None of us come in on a winning streak. And I had a phone conversation with a woman yesterday last who I've never met before. I still haven't met her. But she was saying the same thing. She didn't want to go to that AA meeting that night, but she realized she had a problem. And so we talked a little bit about it, and I uh, checked with it, in with her after the meeting, and she said, oh, my gosh, it was so amazing. And so she just had to go in there and observe for an hour, and she came out feeling really great about it. And that's not always the response, but that prejudice, that contempt prior to investigation, you know, can really keep us in the throes of alcoholism. So uh, it's just it's just trying something, trying something new. And being in recovery is all about becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Change change is uncomfortable. Yeah. But it gets easier. That's so good. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your experience. I really appreciate it. Happy to. Well, how do you stay you know, here you just celebrated four years in September. Congratulations. Thank you. And and how do you maintain your sobriety? You know, especially when you're in Dallas, that seems to be a big drinking town. Well, everywhere seems to be a big drinking culture, right? What are your tips around staying sober? Staying sober, I had to get into recovery and really throw myself in both feet in as we've already covered I have been involved in 12-step fellowship since about the very beginning and I formed a group of friends who are also in recovery and I have stayed plugged in with them and been able to socialize with people who are who are like-minded but it's it's been using my support system It's been making changes in myself and continuing to work with my own coaches and to do my own self-exploration, my own spiritual practice, and to continue to to grow and evolve as a person. I've learned that I can have a really phenomenal life without drinking, and that's, that's taken time and it's taken experience. And I remember very clearly talking to a therapist an IOP when I first got sober and 
asking her, well, how am I going to go out to dinner without drinking? How am I going to go to a concert without drinking? How am I going to go on a date? How am I going to travel? How am I going to do all of these things without drinking? Because I viewed getting sober and not being able to drink as a loss. And I've come to realize that sobriety is a huge gift. And I have to be actively in gratitude for the life I have today and for my sobriety. And so that's been a big piece of my sobriety is is being grateful because life is not perfect today. I still face a lot of challenges and and that's that's okay because I have faced challenges over the past four years and I've had the support of my recovery network and my friends and family. And I've been able to talk about what's been going on and share what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling and to, to know that I don't have to drink over it. And I do believe through staying involved in a 12-step program, through staying involved in, in, in contact with peers who are traveling the same path, that it's not... Uh, I know today, I keep it fresh in my mind, that drink could kill me. A feeling of something that's that's uncomfortable is not going to kill me, but a drink could. And staying plugged into the recovery community has, has shown me the truth of, truth of that, unfortunately. But it's also shown me how amazing sobriety and a sober life can be. Those connections, again, are critical for me. Yeah, I mean, we are tribal animals, right? And so finding your tribe, finding other people that get it, and whether that's through AA or or Smart Recovery or just a group you meet online or, you know, coming to my alcohol a day or whatever, like, uh-huh. you're, it's so true, like, what finding your people and finding people who get it. Yeah, and it's... It's so cool to make connections with others in recovery because we can share our experiences with with each other on a level that that we can't share with those who are not in recovery and who don't understand. And I have amazing friends who are not in recovery who don't have a problem with substances and and they try to understand and they're wonderful people, but they just they can't quite get it. Yeah, I, I laugh because Belle Robertson, who wrote Tired of Thinking About Drinking, she kind of compares it to people who don't get it, like, as if we're talking about corn on the cob. <laughs> and we're just like, when when did you last have corn on the cob? And when are you going to have corn on the cob again? And how many days without having corn on the cob? Like, it just, it, people don't get it. They can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And they might not like eating corn on the cob all that much because it gets all stuck in their teeth. <laughs> yeah. But none of that deterred me from eating corn on the cob nonstop every single day. Right? Like, I would have, like, six of them a night, at least. And, and go to bed with, uh, with little corn kernels <laughs> all stuck. <laughs> so funny. We can laugh about it now, right? We can out there today 
you know, your podcast does such a tremendous service for cultivating this sense of community and letting people know they are not alone, which Mm. is amazing. Yeah, well, tell me about your what your company that you founded, My Internal Weather, and, and how you help people. My Internal Weather is, I seek to provide very highly personalized coaching to my clients, and I work with women in recovery. I also work with clients who are not in recovery, but the clients I've worked with who are in recovery frequently come to me with a little bit of sober time underneath their belts, and they've recognized that while they may be involved in a 12-step program or some sort of other other, uh, treatment, there's something that's missing. There's something that still feels off, and for many of these women, they're very high achieving, they're perfectionists, and they usually are also people pleasers. And I can identify with all of those traits. And so they're recognizing that they are, they're not where they want to be in their lives. And they're having a hard time making decisions or moving forward in their lives, even though they may have put the drink down. And so, um, for example, one woman came to me and she needed to make a change in her career. And we already discussed that a little bit. She was in an environment where she was around alcohol all the time, but she was struggling with uh, having confidence in herself and her ability to get out and interview and go through the process of seeking a healthier environment for herself. And so we worked on the job search front and and how she could show up really confidently in her interviews but we also looked at some of the underlying people-pleasing tendencies and and her fear of leaving her current job because there's so many things that are connected it's all connected in my opinion I was I was staying in my legal job because I thought that I should that is that was the mindset that I had it was I should do this. This is the next box that I should check on my little list. And next comes, you know, the marriage and the white picket fence and the two children. And and that was not the right path for me. And so I, I had to have help from others to find my true calling and my direction. And so that's the type of service I provide to my clients. And sometimes it's career-related but more often than not, it's it's how do I feel about myself and how do I show up in my life and how can I show up better, feeling better about myself and really tuning into that internal barometer, that intuition that is inside all of us. But when I was drinking, I was constantly drowning that light and that voice and that intuition. And so now it's a process of getting plugged back into it and really listening to it and then making the changes that are necessary to cultivate that light and live my best life. Yeah. And, and I love the name, my internal weather, and you have a tagline, feel better inside, no matter what is going on outside. Can you tell me more about the name and, oh, that's so cool. 
Thank you. I love the name as well. And it's so cool, Deb, because anytime I tell people the name of my company or they see it, they get it. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you where the name really came from. I I'm, have a big spiritual practice, and so I like to give credit to the universe for, for sending me that name. But it's so funny because that internal intuition that so many of us, as I just described, I know for me, I was, I was drowning out. I wasn't listening to that voice. It's something that, that I hope our society, our culture has been moving toward and will continue to move toward discussing more openly. We talk about the weather outside. I check my weather app multiple times a day to see when the rain will start or what the temperature is going to be later tonight. So, you know, which boots could I wear? Can I go meet my friends later tonight? And so thinking about all of this external stuff that's going on and how I am living my life according to what the weather is outside is something that we're all accustomed to doing. What if we could start living our lives according to what's going on inside and checking in with how we're feeling about things on the inside rather than just focusing on the outside. I lived my life thinking about the job, the money, the shoes, the guy, the shiny things. And I thought for a very long time that if I could change those things, maybe if I break up with this person and I start dating this other person, that'll fix me. If I drank more, that would make me feel better. Those are my beliefs for such a long time. And of course, they were lies that I was telling myself. But I had to really tune in to my inside and how things were going on inside of me to make true lasting change in my life. And so that's 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 where the name comes from and that's that's usually how people find me. You know, they may not know exactly what's wrong, but something feels off inside. They feel out of alignment and they want to make that change so that they feel better inside of themselves because I do believe that today I can weather all kinds of storms on the outside and still have peace and clarity on who I am inside. I have lost a job in sobriety, but I've been okay. I have walked through that fear and that shock to my ego and come out even stronger and better on the other side. I've had my heart broken and I have been able to walk through that because I've known who I am and I have trust and confidence in myself and what's in my future. And so all those external things that have happened, have they impacted me? Yes. But have I been able to be okay with who I am and to trust myself? Yes. And that's all been as a result of working on who I am and getting in touch with that really true self that truest light inside of me well that is so beautiful and everything you shared in the analogy with the weather and how focused we are on our external and just Mm -hmm. focusing on our internal I love that I have so many 
fancy expensive shoes in my closet but they're just sitting there they don't bring me any joy (laughs) but talking with you about sobriety and making positive change in our lives and working with other people who are on the same path that is so illuminating and heartwarming this is this is where it is Oh, I agree. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and be and sharing your story and being honest. And people are going to want to know where to find you. So how can they find you? They can find me at myinternalweather.com. And there are links to social media uh, on there. But I have a I have a free small group coaching session that I host over Zoom. Um, on the second Sunday of every month and so there are links to resources like that and to other upcoming events and and things that I'm resources that I'm putting out there on the website so it's really myinternalweather.com is the best resource well fantastic thank you so much I'm glad we got the chance to talk and and have this conversation thank you Deb Afba for having me on it has been such a pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode of the alcohol tipping point podcast please share and review the show so you can help other people too i want you to know i'm always here for you so please reach out and talk to me on instagram at alcohol tipping point and check out my website alcoholtippingpoint.com for free resources and help No matter where you are on your drinking journey, I want to encourage you to just keep practicing, keep going. I promise you are not alone and you are worth it. Every day you practice not drinking is a day you can learn from. I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, talk to you next time.